Boy, it's good to be with you this morning. Does the sun ever go behind the clouds? It's so bright down here. We never see the sun that much up in uh, Washington, and it's so nice to come down here and be blinded half to death. I had to dig my sunglasses out. You know, Seattle, by the way, sells more sunglasses than any place in the United States. You know that? You know why? Because we use them so infrequently, they're always lost. That's the truth. Believe me. Jeopardy. You've got it down, right? I want to bring welcome to you from the uh, home of the wave, from blue sky, from the place of bugless existence, from the home of honesty. Have you heard the new Reader's Digest latest survey? How many have heard about it? You're kidding! This is fabulous. Do you realize that Reader's Digest went all across this country to find the most honest city? And what they did is they took... 50 wall, excuse me, 10 wallets with $50 in them each, and they placed them at different places in the various cities. Seattle returned 9 out of 10 wallets with the money in them. In L.A., they never got the wallet out of their pocket before they were mugged. <laughs> Seattle is a place of honesty. So we welcome, welcome you from the Emerald City, the place of honesty, the place of espresso, the home of espresso. Uh, this last year, you know, I was hunting in uh, Wyoming, and Wyoming is the home of the cow. And I was irrita irritating the guys that I was with so much because every time I'd go into a restaurant, I'd say, you know, I'd like a, I'd like a, a latte, tall, single shot, light on the chocolate. They'd all look at you like, you know, do you want your steak E. coli special or do you want it jerky size? You know, I mean, it was incredible. Nobody knew what espresso is, but I see espresso stands down here. So home of the home. A welcome from the home of the espresso stand. You know, it's also a wonderful place for hunting and fishing. How many of you enjoy hunting and fishing? All the girls raised... Oh, some girls raised your hands. That's great. I've got to tell you a story, though. This last year just tore my heart out. We were out in Ellensburg, and we were hunting up for elk. We bow hunt, archery hunt. We were up in the mountains in Ellensburg. And I came across... I heard this little noise. And you know, when bow hunting, you're up in a tree stand or something. It's really quiet. You've got to stay really, really quiet because your shots have to be really close. So I'm up in this tree stand, and... And I'm, I'm, I'm really quiet, and all of a sudden I hear this little rustling. I look over, and I see this little fluttering on the ground. So I got down out of my tree stand, and I walked over, and here was a baby bird. How many have ever seen a baby, baby bird? A little fuzzy without the feathers on it? It was incredible. And I began looking around. I said, what in the world is this little bird doing down here on the ground? And I heard all kinds of commotion above me, and I looked up, and here was the mother flying around the nest. The baby bird had fallen out of the nest. And so I put my bow down and I put my gloves on so I wouldn't touch the baby bird. And I put the baby bird in my hands and began to warm it, you know, from the warmth of your hands. And it kind of settled down a little bit. And I stuck it in my top pocket. And I started to climb back up the tree to put the baby bird back in the nest. And so I made my way up the tree and limb after limb. And as I got up to the place and the mother bird was kind of buzzing in my head, I put that little baby bird back in the nest. That bird really appreciated the fact that I did that. I'm telling you. I climbed back down the tree and it was real quiet and the mother bird started to settle down. And that little baby bird looked over the side of that nest. I swear there was a tear coming down its face. <laughs> and it looked over the side of that nest and it's opened, it's little, opened up its little beak. And that bird said, 
I hope we go up from here this morning. Lynn and Susan Bone send their greetings. How many know Lynn Bone? Would you do me a favor? For those, we live in the same city. Would you do me a favor? Though they don't come to our church. Uh, would you do me a favor? Those of you that know them, find their address and write them a letter of encouragement. Not that you miss them and not that they should come back here, but just a letter of encouragement that they're in God's will and you're praying for them. How many will do that? How many will do that? No one? You don't, you're glad they're gone? Come on, stand up if you'll do that. Stand, I want you to stand up. If you'll write them a letter. Come on. This is, I was a Baptist. This is very important for me. Stand up. Any more? Thank you. Make sure you write them a letter and encourage them. I'm so happy to have uh, a number of the students from Alderwood Manor Community Church here at Masters. In fact, why don't you stand? Those that are from the church, we're glad some of you that are gone are gone for a while. Good, good. Glad to have you here. Sarah down here is my camping buddy. Can I tell them what you said to me when we were up about 8,000 feet, 8 miles back in the William O. Douglas? I mean, did I say Sarah? We know each other real well. I'm very personable in our church. True shepherd's heart. Can I tell them what you said to me at Mosquito Valley? Remember that? I won't do it. You can, tell, you can talk to me afterwards. I have something that I want to leave down here in the front. I, uh, it's great to have you from Trinity. Trinity is a great school. I represent Western Seminary up in Washington, and uh, we, <laughs> we, have a, uh, we have a new president, Ron Hawkins, from Liberty Baptist. He's come out and uh, become the new president of Western Seminary. If you want any information about the school, if you're looking to seminary, Masters is great, Trinity is great, Dallas is great, uh, but if you want an exposure to the Northwest, sign up on here. Another thing we'll give you some information on is the area of internships. If any of you are looking to graduate, either juniors or seniors, or maybe you're not worried about graduating but you want to get out, and you're looking for a place of ministry, we have a number of churches up in the Seattle area of guys that I hang out with that are working toward developing internships in our church. We have seen a number of guys come out of college and out of seminary without experience. In fact, a lot of churches won't take you because you don't have the experience, but how do you get the experience if nobody will give you the experience? So what we've done is we've developed a number of internships within the church. You'll never work harder than you've worked in your life for less, but you will learn a lot. All these churches are growing churches, they're dynamic churches, and if you're interested in participating or getting that kind of experience for two to three years in a ministry to learn the ropes before you go out and do it yourself, there's a place down here for you to sign up under internships. Give us your name and your address and we'll make sure that we get you some information. How many here are from Oregon and Washington? The rest of you, if you will just give me an opportunity, I need to bring the Northwest home for just a moment, okay? Just give me the opportunity to do that. Picture yourself listening to the radio. And Jay Buhner is up to bat. Jay, who epitomizes arrogance as he faces that pitcher face-to-face, -face, takes a couple practice swings. It's a 2-0 and count. Bases are loaded. The pitcher winds up. He delivers. Here's the pitch. Low and outside. It's now 3-0. and And there they go. The fans are up. Ladies and gentlemen, this, turn, this team has turned this city on their ear. It's a 3-0 and count. Jay know, he knows he's going to get the pitch that he wants. Here's the windup and the pitch. It's a hit. It's long. It looks good. It's going, going. Get out the rye bread, Grandma. It's grand salami time. My, oh, my. Well, for those of you that aren't from the Northwest, I'm sorry. 
Do you live with confidence in your life? This goes on in our church every Sunday morning. That's why only, they only let me preach about 30% of the time. Seriously, do you live with confidence in your life? Many years ago, when I had hair, I was once a student. It's true. And you know, I went through the very same turmoil that many of you go through in this whole area of living with confidence. Do you live with confidence in your life? Now, some of you guys are out there saying, are you kidding me, man? I am the most confident dude around. I am so with it. I am confident. We're probably not talking about that kind of confidence. That confidence is more of a male chauvinistic, self-centered, pompous, arrogant, repulsive, windbag type confidence. Amen, girls? Or maybe you're on the other end of the spectrum and these are the thoughts that go through your mind. You know, I bet they think I'm weird. I wonder what they really think of me. You know, I guess I am a nerd. No one really likes me. I have no gifts, no talents, no friends, no life, no chances, no future, no fruit-flavored good and plenty. I'm a loser. When people tell me, just do it, I say, what's the use? Maybe you're like a friend of mine who had a boy come to her one time and sing this song. Why do boys suddenly disappear every time you walk near just like me? They can't stand to be close to you. You know, there's all kinds of perspective in life. The problem is both of those perspectives are wrong. Do you see life from the bottom of a pop can? Or are you confident, focused, purposeful? Are you a fulfilled person, even in college? You say... I know of a lot of people who could do it a lot better than me. You know, there was a time that I would apologize for the fact that God called me into the pastorate. Because I knew there were a lot of people who could do the ministry a lot better than I could. In fact, we've got guys on staff that have much more experience. We've, we're kind of downplaying the whole senior pastor thing because, number one, I'm not the oldest and I'm not the smartest. We've got guys on our staff that have much more senior pastor experience than I have, that are much more gracious, that really have a shepherd's heart. But that's okay. One time a person told me this. Don't ever apologize for God's appointment. You see, some of you kids are going to be called into ministry, and that could be lay ministry or that could be full-time ministry, and the thought that is going to go through your mind on a regular basis is, I feel so inadequate to do this. There is someone that could do it so much better than me. Don't apologize for God's divine appointment. Because you know what the truth is? There is someone who can do it a lot better than me. There is someone who can do it a lot better than you. But you know what? God didn't call them to do it. He called you to do it. Augustine once was in turmoil with one of his friends because he was getting all the, the, the popularity and the, the, pomps and the pomp and the circumstance from everybody. They were looking to him and he said, look to August, Augustine or Augustine. He said, why are you getting all the attention? And he said, because God looked down and could find no more wretched soul 
to use as a channel of His blessing to the world. Don't ever apologize for God's divine appointment in your life. Do you have confidence? If you have that male chauvinistic, which is basically an insecurity manifested type attitude, then you really don't understand the theology of man. You want to really get a good picture of who we are? Turn to Isaiah. Do you bring your Bibles? That's great. If you don't, look like you're turning. Isaiah chapter 40. We're not going to stay there long. And by the way, this is a very long introduction, and I did this on purpose because I wanted the homiletics department to have something to analyze in class today, okay? Long introduction. Isaiah chapter 40. And some of you Hebrew students can look this up on your own. But in chapter 40, verse 15, we find the word nations. It really is the word peoples. How many people do we have in this world today? Maybe five billion? Surely the peoples are like a drop in a bucket. How big is a drop? Divided by five billion. But that's even an exaggeration because then it says they are regarded as the dust on the scales. And that's even an exaggeration because not even are they dust, but they're fine dust. And then in verse 17 it says, you know, that's even an exaggeration because the peoples are, are nothing. And that's even an exaggeration because the next verse tells us that the peoples are less than nothing. You have to add something to it to equal nothing. In the sight of man, how do you look at yourself? Do you feel you're something? You see that, that self-confident attitude is so contrary to what God wants to have in our life in order to use us. But on the other hand, the fearful, insecure, lack of confidence as a Christian comes because we have a misguided theology of God. David, facing the task of building the temple, turn to First Chronicles. Chapter 29. And in his prayer, he just gives us a beautiful picture of the theology of God. Chapter 29. It's in the Old Testament. Verse 10, Praise be to you, O Lord God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and on earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, O our God, we give thanks to you and praise your glorious name. That is a beautiful picture of God. You say, where are you going with this? Here's where I'm going with it. Because in churches and in schools, Christian schools, we hear this concept often of faith, don't we? There's no one here that has not, not heard the term faith used within the context of the Christian. But what does that mean? How many times have you ever heard someone say, or how many times has someone told you, you know what your problem is? You need to increase your faith. 
You need more faith. You need to increase your faith. You know, that's about the most self-centered thing that we could ever tell someone. Do we originate the capacity for faith? Does faith start with us? Faith is of God. We call it in theology, prevenient grace. God working in our hearts before we ever knew what was even going on, John 6.44. No one can come to the Father except through me. Faith. You need to increase your faith. How do we increase our faith? Faith comes by hearing. Hearing through the Word of God. We know that verse, right? We can quote that verse, but what does it mean? It means we're 180 degrees off when we're telling somebody that you need to increase your faith. What we need to do rather is look to God. And as we look to God and we study God and we grow in our understanding of who God is, our faith increases. Turn to Colossians chapter 2. All introductory stuff, by the way. We may have to finish on Friday. We speak a long time in our church. Colossians chapter 2. A beautiful portion of Scripture. And if you don't have it underlined, you should. The context here is walking with God. The condition is walking with God. And in verse 6, we see these words. So then, just as you have received Jesus Christ as Lord, continue to live in Him, in Him, in Him, in Him. All the way through the Gospels and the Epistles, we find that in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thanksgiving. Do you know the difference between a passive and an active in the language, in languages, whether it's Greek or whatever? Passive is, man, I'm just, I'm just standing here, and you come up and smack me upside the head. I'm going, whoa, what's going on, man? I'm just standing here. I'm not doing nothing. You know, I'm just passive. I'm just standing here. You're the one that's acting upon me. That's action, right? You're acting upon me. I'm just standing here, minding my own business as the sweet person that I am. And you come up and smack me upside the head. I'm just standing here. I'm passive. There are three passives and one active. You know what the passives are? Rooted. Built up in Him. Strengthened in the faith as you were taught. God does that for us as we walk in Him. As we become aware of who God is. As we study His Word. As we understand God. As we know Him. And as we know Him, God exercises this wonderful work in our life and builds our capacity for faith. And with all that stuff that just blows our mind, what's the active? We just overflow with thanksgiving. Say, man, I can't understand God's grace. I cannot understand what's going on here. It just blows my mind. And all I can do is give thanks to God. Do you want to increase your faith? Get your eyes off yourself. Expectations in ministry. I'm going to be talking to the seminary students tomorrow for a few more moments, or a few, yeah, a few moments. Dick Mayhew is a good friend of mine and asked me to come down. But I want to talk about expectations to them. I'm just going to share this with you this morning. I'm just sharing a lot of things from my heart. We have, I have three points, by the way. I have a homiletical design. Okay, so relax. Some of you preacher boys, just relax. Expectations. I work with a lot of pastors. 
I see a lot of guys coming out of seminary, coming out of school, gals coming out, families coming out, giving up their life to serve God. And I see a lot of men and women who are frustrated in ministry. I see a lot of churches that are just messed up royally. And some of you know what I'm talking about. You've experienced that. I come across men and women who just want to bag the whole thing and go get a job and just be a lay person because they're just sick and tired of the hassle. You know why? Because ministry has not met their expectations. Let me tell you something. Some people will come around you and they'll tell you stuff like this. Boy, ministry is just a joy. It's a blast. I mean, it's an upward climb, sure, but is it, there's nothing. You just got to go into ministry. Let me tell you, there's about four things that, 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 that problem probably categorizes those type of people. Either they've never been in ministry, or if they've been in ministry, they've never ministered, or they're hallucinating, or they're just flat out insane. When I think of ministry, and when I think of people that are called to ministry, and people talk to me, and I counsel people about ministry, I tell them, I talk to them about passion. It's the Jeremiah passion. It's the two great cannots. Jeremiah was so frustrated with God's work, he said, I can't do this anymore. And in the same breath, he says, but I can't do anything else. You see, there's a difference between happiness and joy. Fulfillment will come, you guys, when you are doing what God wants you to do. When you are walking in Him. That's when fulfillment will come. But I'm going to tell you something. If you think that I have Hebrew, Greek, I've had homiletics and hermeneutics, therefore I am. And when I go out into ministry, flocks of people are just going to beat down the door. In fact, they're going to be camping out there the night before to get a good seat. Let me tell you something. You're going into ministry with the wrong expectations. Let God worry about the expectations. Stop, stop worrying about what you're going to do and begin to worry about who you are. Some of you are going into missions. Some of you will not make it in missions unless you come to the place of realizing that you need to leave the expectations with God. It's not going to be exactly like you thought it was going to be. But that's okay. Because God is sovereign. And God is in control. Ministry is a blessing, but make sure your expectations are left with God. So how do you live with confidence? You're talking about going into ministry. You're talking about all this stuff. Man, I'm scared to death. I mean, I'm involved with ministry right now, and, my, and I'm just trying to keep my head in my mouth, my nose in my mouth above the waterline because I'm waiting for the next person to just nail me up against the wall, and I'm not even sure what I'm doing. How do I gain that kind of confidence in ministry, in life? How do I gain the confidence in my own heart that I realize that I can be secure in a situation and, and I can share Christ with someone else, not worrying about exactly how they're going to treat me. I can be confident in Christ. We talk about victory in Jesus, right? But what does it mean? How does it apply to me? I want you to take your Bibles with me this morning and we're going to look. Here's our three-point outline. We're going to look at a confidence builder. A confidence builder. And we're going to find that confidence comes... Through absolutes, confidence comes through history, and confidence comes through an increased understanding and vision of God. We could call it faith. Turn in your Bibles. It'll be very easy because it's the very first verse in the Bible. In fact, we're going to stay on this verse in the very first phrase, Genesis chapter 1. 
Dave, you know, I left my little chart down there. What's my time cut off here? 11.30? 11.30. Genesis chapter 1. And here are the words that we're going to deal with this morning. In the beginning, God. There is a tremendous amount of confidence stuff. Stuff that builds confidence in that very first phrase in the Bible. In the beginning, God. You see, God knew what He was doing. He started the pattern in the very first words of the Bible. In the beginning, God. Now normally, beginnings do not seem to be closely related with a sense of confidence, do they? We've had four children. We have a daughter who will be 21 tomorrow. I am so impressed for such a young person like, you know, me and your mom to have someone that old. We were married at, what was 13 or 14, I think. And then we had a boy, we have a boy that just turned 18 and we have a boy that's 13 and we have a boy that's 9. We have a very close family. (laughs) But let me pick on Tammy. I can remember when Tammy first began to walk. It was a beginning. You ever see kids, you know, when they're first beginning to walk and they're kind of like, you know, like this number or even to sit them up, you know, they sit them up and their head kind of goes like this and flops around and back on the you know, top of their head. Tammy was just like that. Some of you think she came out of the womb walking. It was not so. She had to go through the same thing we all have to go through. There was a lack of confidence in her first step. She was reaching for a table or she was reaching for someone's shoe that was sitting down near. Beginnings don't often seem to be closely related to strength and confidence. I can remember my first bicycle solo ride. Now, you won't remember this, but I had big, you know, the uh, suicide handlebars and the banana seat. Anybody remember a banana seat? Huh? Yeah. With a raccoon tail on the back, you know. I literally, I literally wasted millions of dollars of baseball cards in the spokes of my bikes, by bike. You ever put them in there with a clothespin? Some of you guys don't have any existence. Man, get a life. But anyway, I can remember my dad's big hand on the back and giving me that shove and and the, the lack of confidence that I had doing it on my own. I can remember my first date. Connie Del Grazia in sixth grade. You know the Garth Brooks song that says some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayer? You probably don't listen to country music down here south, do you? Well, that, that was true because I met Connie about six years later. <laughs> some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayer, man. Connie DelGrazia, she was my flame, man, in sixth grade. I mean, I snuck a kiss on the playground. You know, it was like right in the middle of a, of a soccer-type game or a kickball game. You kind of run up when they're not expecting you know, take off, and she throws up on the ground. The whole, con- you know, the whole thing. I can remember that very first date, and the thing I really remember about the first date is the guy that drove the van from the church. We were going to an evangelistic meeting. Her mother invited me to go with them, and I can remember the man that drove the van had one hand, and he and he had a a, a wooden hand with a black leather glove on it. Great impressions, right? That first date, the insecurity of it. The first swing, I coach baseball, coach baseball for years. I love baseball. I live and, and, and die for baseball. 
But I can I know with all my teams that first swing of the year, you know, in their mind, you know, I'm starting out, you know, I got I got to get my average, and and what about that first swing, and am I going to be able to hit it, and I'm going to you know turn on fast, and I'm quick enough, all that kind of stuff. The first day in a school situation, the first time you meet someone, you see, beginnings don't often are not often associated with what confidence. But the opposite is true with God. Because we have God in this equation. It's just not in the beginning. It is in the beginning God. Confidence is established through absolutes. You say, what are you talking about? Let me ask you these questions. Did God create? If He did, did He create from nothing? From something? Did God create and then kind of back off and let evolution take over and on and on it goes? Let me give you some, some words from different paraphrases and versions of the Bible, okay? The RSV says, of these first verses, when God began to create. The New English says, in the beginning of creation, when God made heaven and earth. The Living Bible, when God began creating the earth, the earth was shapeless, a shapeless, chaotic mess. No, mass. But it was a mess. You see, these translators, whether they realize it or not, are making this phrase, it's a dependent clause. They are saying, basically, in order for God to work, to create, matter had to pre-exist. The key is the word create. We're not going to talk about that this morning. Can God create something out of nothing? Absolutely. He's got to he do whatever He wants to do. But a different word is used. God was telling us exactly what He wanted to tell us here, that God created. If it was creating out of something already in existence, we would find a different word here in Genesis chapter 1. God created. It is an absolute God begins the very first verses, verse of this Bible that we have and we call our own by giving us the confidence of absolutes. Let me tell you something. I know exactly what you guys are going through because periodically in your life, you're asking the questions, is he really real? Is this a big facade? There are a lot of people out there that contradict what I believe. There are a lot of people that think I'm foolish, people in my own family, maybe mom and dad that think I'm absolutely foolish for believing. Let me tell you something, kids. If you don't get this down right now, you're going to have a, a storm of a life ahead of you forever. God begins with absolutes. Why? Because it builds confidence. Creating me a new heart doesn't mean we somehow clean up and polish the old one. It is a miracle of salvation. A new creature in Christ is means I am something new. I am dead to the past. I am alive to the present with Christ. Do you ever ask yourself what that means to be dead? I, I do a lot of funerals. I'm very polished and very formal at funerals. But when I do those funerals, I often think, what does it mean to be dead? You ever thought about that? I heard one experience where a sister who hated her brother who had died so much that she came in the back of that funeral home right there in the service and ran up to the casket and began berating her dead brother right there in front of everyone. You louse! 
You did this and that. You know what his reaction was? Now in life, he'd have probably gone, knocked her right down, right? As brothers and sisters, I would not, not knock her down. That's physical abuse. We've got to watch that in Los Angeles. Uh, you know, said something back to her. But you know what? He didn't respond. Why? He was dead. Can we die like that by ourselves, apart from the grace of God? Absolutely not. It is a miracle of God. In the absolute beginning, God. You say, how do you know it's the absolute beginning? Maybe it's the beginning of a process after something already began. You know, this, this thing goes round and round the circle. You know, theological tables, you know, they discuss this time and you know, how many angels can sit on the head of a pin and all that kind of stuff, you know? If we turn over to John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. A great debate goes on. Because Jehovah's Witnesses says, say... The word was what? A God or a God. Us fundies, you know, missionary-minded, evangelistic. Bible preaching preachers say Jesus Christ was the God, right? You know, they're both absolutely wrong. Both of those views were condemned in church history as heresy. How many have taken Greek here? How many of you are anticipating taking Greek? How many could care less? Okay, got more hands there. You will find a term used when you get into syntax, and it's called the anarthrous precopulative predicate nominative. Aren't you impressed? It means there's no article. Precopulative is the verb. It means the predicate nominative comes before the verb. Every time you find that in se se uh, sequence in the New Testament, you will find that it is qualitative. The beauty of John chapter 1 is he's saying that Jesus Christ wasn't a creation of God. He wasn't the exact same thing as God. God's some kind of a schizophrenic. He's just saying in the most simplistic way that Jesus Christ is God. He said exactly what he wanted to say. It wasn't that Jesus Christ pre-existed. Jesus Christ eternally existed. What I'm saying, kids, is this. Until we can come to grips with this first phrase and the absolutes of that very first phrase in the Bible, we are going to be like a cork on the, on the, on the ocean, tossed to and fro for the rest of our life. Because as situations come up, as circumstances come up in our life, and some of you may be facing them right now, the natural question is to ask, is God real? And can I trust Him? Confidence in life comes through absolutes. We live in a world of relativity. We live in a world that says, you know, what's good for you is fine for you and I'm not going to get in your space and in your face, but I may believe something different. We do not have absolutes. God gives us absolutes. And unless we can understand that we need to live by the absolutes of God's Word, we're going to be in a mess. Second of all, confidence is established through history. Genesis is the book of origins. It takes us back to our roots, which in turn gives us the meaning of life. 
I've been very pleased over the last number of years that some people in our family have been doing these family trees. You know, ever since the, the uh, Alex Haley and the Roots came out, everybody's interested in their roots. You know, I found I've got these plaques now that some of my relatives served in the, in the Civil War and all that kind of stuff. And the, and the, and the arms, the, uh, what do they call those? The, uh, the arms. Help me, help me, help me. The, uh, what? What is it? Coat of arms. Thank you very much. You know, the coat of arms from England, all that stuff. With their That's great stuff to have. Why? Because it gives me an understanding who I am. We live on a farm. We have five horses and three chickens. We have a German shepherd dog. We have a rabbit that we just put out to stud because we didn't have a female for him. He's much happier now. Uh, we have a cat in the house. We have all those kind of animals. I like that. Why do I like that? As I understand my history, I understand that it's because many of my relatives like those. And the little things that my dad and grandparents told me over the years have, have locked in. It's because it's part of me. We need to understand where we came from. Genesis gives us a place to put down a stake to understand who we are. It doesn't mean that we don't change. It doesn't mean that we're not in continual change. It's a beautiful experience of walking with God. We go through this all the time in our church. All the time. It's a 75-year-old church. And the church has been growing and we've been getting new people in. And some of the older people are frustrated with that. And we have to work with them and put our arms around them and care for them. Because of traditions, we carry those things with us and pretty soon they become our religion. We call it culture. But you know the same root word, we can easily become a cult. It means doing the same thing without variation over and over again and basically telling people, if you don't agree with my way, hit the highway. It doesn't mean we don't continually change. It means it becomes a part of us. It gives us security. It gives us foundation in life. Confidence comes through history. We began from God. We will end with God. So why shouldn't we just live for God in between? Listen, you guys, there's a tremendous amount of confidence that will come in your life, understanding who is in control. And you will understand who is in control when you truly rest in the fact that God is the generator of everything. Confidence is also established, third of all, through a greater vision, a greater understanding of God. Why? And it's so unique the way God has put this word together. Because in the very first phrase of the Bible, He demands that we make a decision. He demands that humanity make a decision. And the, this decision is this. Is it fact or is it fiction? Does God have the power to give us His word in a literal way? All Scripture is given by inspiration of God or all... Inspired scripture is of God. There's a big difference between those two. Let me tell you something. If God is not powerful and cannot supersede the events enough to give us exactly what He wanted to give us, then something's wrong here at the very beginning. Because what happens is then I have to become the authority. Let me tell you something. I'm not the person you want to be the authority. Jeremiah says, precept upon precept. A number of years ago, I was in a debate at San Jose University. 
a debate with a homosexual issue. And, you know, we got involved with this discussion. There was a big forum, a number of people, probably this much, and many of them did not like our position. Obviously, they were there to support the homosexual issue. It became very clear to me that this wasn't a debate. There was no basis for the debate. Because on one side there was faith, on the other side there was the absence of faith. The Bible says that mankind's eyes have been darkened. It is only through the Spirit of God that those eyes can be opened to receive the light from God, right? We soon turned the conversation around rather than debating the issue, which was fruitless, of sharing the gospel of Christ. How can you debate something when somebody's mind is so made up? When a Jehovah's Witness comes to your door, I mean, we can just blast them. You know, I used, to, I used to give out this thing from Dallas, you know, on Syntax. A friend of mine who's a professor in Greek department down there gave me it. It was this whole thing on, you know, the, all the various rules and so forth. And I, I'd hand him this paper and say, go take that and you get that down. Go on back, we'll talk, you know. They don't need that. I should have had the confidence. I should have been able to just share the testimony of Christ, because I see myself in the eyes of God and I see how great God is and realize that God could do that for me. He can do that for them. That's what they need. They need the gift of salvation more than more knowledge. The statement of Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 is so well designed because God calls us in this statement to look directly to let me wrap this up a little bit this morning. Some of you kids today are here are seniors and juniors. Let me tell you, I love you guys. Our church has given me the opportunity. I, I preach about 35 maybe percent of the time, and the other guys preach. And I hang out with the high school kids and, and the junior high and the college, and I do music stuff in the church. And they give us the freedom just to be released in our area of giftedness. It's a blast. But because I'm working with people similar to your age, I know what goes through your minds. And some of you are here this morning and you're lacking confidence because, man, you're saying, man, I'm a senior. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And that elusive someone hasn't come around. I mean, what's the matter, God? I mean, is there a problem here? i got some pretty good you know, suggestions for you. What am I going to do? I mean, how many more months do I have before I'm out of here? There's a lack of confidence. And really, your lack of confidence is in God. Some of you are wondering right now if you have gifts for ministry. Some of you know you need to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with people who do not know. And you lack confidence. Some of you right now, because of the things that you're facing, may be questioning the validity of the Christian faith altogether. I don't know what's going on in your heart and your life. I don't know what's going on in your family. Ever heard anybody say this? Man, it's not fair. It's not fair what they're going through. It's not fair what I'm going through. It's just not fair. We're vacillating here. Confidence comes from absolutes. Confidence comes from an understanding of our origin, who we are. Confidence comes from not what we can do and what we can figure out. Confidence comes purely by looking at the greatness of God that we cannot even fathom. 
El Shaddai is more than enough. The God of plenty. Let me give you one other illustration and we're going to close. I love horses. We raise horses. I like to train horses. God's given us the ability to do that. And I like to find grade horses, which are basically cheap horses that don't have papers. And especially when people have let them go and you can see real quality in this horse. And a couple years ago, I picked up a mare, beautiful Arabian mare, bay, beautiful horse. She'd been in a paddock, a small little paddock area for about eight years of her life with another horse. Her muscles were not defined. But as I looked at her confirmation, I knew this horse had great potential. And so we purchased the horse and I brought her home. First time I got on her, I began to back her up. After we saddled, broke her, backed her up. She almost fell to her, her haunches because her muscles were so ill-defined. She stumbled. We began to train her, began to build those muscles back up. You know, she began to shed tears and tell me how much she thanked me and all that kind of stuff. And we began to teach her. We do a lot of backcountry riding. And in order to teach them, they need to learn how to go across the water and the streams, the running water, and, and across bridges. You don't want to be 30 feet up and have a horse throw you 30 feet down under the rocks. You know, those type of, you know, things. And so what we do is we have a bridge. It's, it's a make-believe bridge. It's in the, in the arena area. And we take the horses, we just ride across so they, they, hear, they can hear the clip-clop, clip-clop, the noise on top of the bridge. She didn't want to do that. So what did I do? I just got the biggest whip I could, man. I just put my heels into her and I just drove her over that bridge. That, is that what I did? No way. There's not a thing I can do to that horse to make the horse do what it doesn't want it to, want to do because it's much stronger than I am. And she would sit at that bridge and literally just go like this out of nerves. She would just go like this. Just like, just like football players, you know, in some kind of a drill. She would just go like this and all the way around the bridge. Why? Because she was so afraid to go over the bridge. She didn't have any confidence. And so what I did is I got out of the saddle. And I petted her. I calmed her down. And I brought her up to the bridge. And I took one of her front feet and I put it up in the bridge. And as soon as she hit it, she pulled it back. And then I did it again. And she pulled it back. And about the third time, she left it there for a second. And the fourth time, she left it there for a long time. And actually, I could see her shifting some weight onto that front foot. And then I walked around. I did the very same thing with the other foot. I put the other foot up there and then she backed off altogether. And we went through this process until not... It wasn't long, 15, 20 minutes, and she was standing on the bridge. Why? Because now she had confidence that it wasn't going to jump up and kill her. How do you increase your faith? How do you come to a place in your life when you can begin to do those things that you want to do? You want to be strengthened by God. Let me tell you something again. The focus isn't on you. It needs to be on a loving and a caring God who will do exactly the same thing, even more so with you as I did with that horse. He will take your foot one step by, one foot by at a time. And He'll caress you. And He'll love you. And He'll care for you. And the confidence will be built. And pretty soon you're standing on that bridge. And you're looking and you're trusting in the eyes of the person that's helping you. Kids, let me tell you something. We need to, in a self-centered, please-yourself mentality world, learn right now to get our eyes off ourselves and put them on the one that we can trust, Jesus Christ. And if you'll do that, then God will give you a firm foundation in your life. He will make you a testimony to this world because people won't understand what's going on. But you will. Let's pray. God, we all want confidence. 
We struggle so much understanding why in the world you ever put us in ministry in the first place. Some of these kids here are struggling, wondering if they made the right choice coming to Christian school. Some of them, there's all kinds of things that are going through their mind. And and the reason is, is because we're focused on us. And God, I pray that this morning that focus may be changed. That we may come to a firm conviction that we can gain confidence through the absolutes because we know you're in charge. We can come to a point in our life of gaining confidence because we're expanding our view of who you are. And part of that is understanding that you made us. We are yours. Lord, for each kid that is here this morning that's struggling in their life, in the area of confidence, in the area of questioning, I pray, Lord, that they may drive that stake down today and leave this place with a new sense of confidence, shoulders back, anticipating and aware of the spiritual battle they're in, but yet at the same time anticipating the victory that is already theirs through Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to understand more of you. Help us to know you more this day. In Jesus' name we pray.